Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. We are recording. We are recording. Welcome back, everyone. We got some new faces here this week. I haven't seen you, some of you guys in a little while, and I think uh, we got a brand new person on who's never been on before. Um, so we are back, and we're going to talk about a pretty interesting subject that a lot of people point out to us. You know, and we're talking about dead trees on the side of the road, pitch pines primarily. You see them a lot in that peak, and there's a lot up on 114 and in my neighborhood up on Swamp Road. Um, so we're going to launch into that in a minute. But uh, first of all, that was Brendan O'Reilly you heard at the top of the podcast. Hey, Brendan. Hi, Annette. Hi, everybody. My name is Brendan. I am the Deputy Managing Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Catherine G. Manu, a.k.a. Georgie. Hey, Georgie. Hey, Annette. Um, I'm Georgie, sometimes known as Catherine Manu, and I am the co-publisher of the Express News Group. And we also have um, reporter extraordinaire, Michael Wright. Hey, Mike. Hello, everyone. How are you? Nice to see you again. And I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the Arts and Living Editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us is a very special guest. And I don't know if he has been on our podcast yet. And we're talking about East Hampton Town Councilman David Lees. Hey, David. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so very much. Yes, this is my first time, wow. and I'm very excited, and uh, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, speak with you all. Yeah, so this is one of those stories. Mike, yeah, maybe you could jump in here because uh, you wrote the most recent story on this topic, but this is all about the southern pine beetle that has invaded in recent years, and it seems to be attacking primarily our pitch pines. So, Mike, do you want to launch in and talk a bit about your story from the last issue that we ran? And what's the complicating factor at this point with these little buggers? Well, yeah, I mean, this story was really just kind of like the latest in a in a subject that we talked about uh, last year, and that is I mean, obviously, the the pine beetle thing has been a has been a big problem since 2017. Uh, like you mentioned in Northwest, uh, tens of thousands of dead trees, uh, most of which out there were on town or county land and were cut down um, while they were infested in a uh, ultimately futile effort to try and stop their spread. Um, but they have uh, they've reached Napig or Napig. And the, the Napeague Strait uh, State Park, which is a you know a huge swath of uh, of coastal uh, pine forests, and they've killed tens of thousands of trees again there. And uh, the problem is, as it's been in other places, and people have raised a lot of concerns about wildfires um, in the areas with all those dead trees on the ground, um, which I did a story a year or maybe two years ago now. Uh, with uh, with some firemen who said that actually the felled trees um, are not great fuel for a fire. Um, they they can be problematic if a brush fire does come through them because they can they can sort of harbor some um, uh, smoldering embers uh, that can be hard to suss out and rekindle a fire. But generally, they don't feed flames very good when they're lying on the ground. And also, once they've started to rot, they get they get wet pretty quick uh, interior. So they don't they're not they're not great uh, fire fuel, but standing dead trees are. 
and uh, they can be really bad because fire can get up into the tops of them and jump uh, over the tops of firemen, and uh, it can be it can be very scary and also dangerous, and just it's it's got the potential to uh, to spread. And obviously, with the with Maui uh, not very far in our rearview mirrors, people are very sensitive about that. And yeah, like you said, they're very visible. Um, especially in Napeague, because there's all these trees along Montauk Highway and people drive along and they see the live trees on the south side and all these dead trees on the on the north side. And so it's kind of in people's uh, in people's eye and the idea of the fire spreading there um, has been uh, has has come up a lot. And of, of course, people say, well, you know, why aren't they cutting down those trees? And that uh, that is something that the state was doing. They've cut down thousands and thousands of trees trying to uh, stop the infestation. And to do that, you cut down trees that are technically still alive, but clearly are harboring beetles. Um, uh, and they've even cut down some healthy trees that aren't harboring beetles in hopes of uh, trying to stop the spread. But uh, they got halted last year, and I'll let David take over from here, but they got halted last year uh, in their effort to cut down trees by a new, uh, a new obstacle to, to that effort that we're hoping is going to be lifted and uh, will get addressed soon. But uh, Dave, why don't you uh, catch us up on, on <laughs> what we ran into last spring? Uh, good afternoon, Mike. Yeah, uh, give a, a good update of where we're at. Um, as we know that the southern uh, pine beetle infestation that we have first experienced in your area of Swamp Road was initially declared a state, uh, state of emergency by the town of East Hampton. That allowed individuals to go on to private property owners' properties to try to cut and score uh, the trees as has been directed by the DEC forestry divisions on there. Uh, as we recognize and seen that has continued to spread in that area. That was years ago. There is some regeneration of uh, of the forest in that area. But what's happened now is that with global warming, and now what we're seeing is this become a regional issue. This is just not an East Hampton issue anymore. Mm. What's happened is we're starting to see this in other areas of Calverton. You'll see it on in Hampton Bays over by uh, uh, over by uh, the, the Shinnecock Canal. You'll see it up in uh, Brookhaven now. You'll see dead swatches of trees that line a lot of our major highways. What happened now in 2021 is our land stewards and myself noticed that there was deadening of trees on some of the state's right-of-ways that we wanted to make sure we look, got looking at them as soon as possible. That area, as many of us know, in Napeague, uh, is very ecologically sensitive. And it also could provide a little bit of a natural barrier to Montauk uh, to stop anyway any infestation heading out towards Montauk of the sun and pine beetles. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. What has happened now is that thousands, if not tens of thousands of trees in the Napeague area have now become infected over the last couple of years, continue to be infected this year. You can see new devastation happening now. And any, unfortunately, any suppression techniques that have been happening uh, are were overmatched uh, by the, the, the veracity of the infestation. I first want to thank Tom Des, who is in charge of New York State Parks for Montauk. Him and his crews were extremely responsive back in 2021 to the town's land stewards 
to go out and try to suppress this infestation, but we were just overmatched on it. Lead into 2022, now you're starting to see not infested trees, now you're starting to see dead trees. Lead that into 2023 early right now, you're not just starting to see a small amount of dead trees, you're seeing a forest of dead trees. Lead into the summertime and uh, the drum I've been pounding with other town board members and the supervisor is that these dead trees now are different than what we're seeing in other areas of the region. These dead trees in that peak specifically are now affecting and are endangering life and safety, I believe, of people that are going up and down the main corridor in that area, which would be the State Highway Montauk Route 27. There are hazard trees hanging over. This always was one of the beauties growing up here in that peak of this tunnel of trees driving through. It's like in East Hampton driving through Old Stone Highways and seeing the beach forest, which is now being devastated. In that peak, we're seeing these trees overhang and now they've become dead and now they're just hazards. And I fear that something will happen. You'll see it going to the LARR tracks also now too. And you'll see it further north into, uh, uh, into areas closer to Lazy Point. The state did try to thin act, uh, thin the trees out there to try to curtail some of the dead end trees. That was over a year ago. But what's happening now is that we are fearful that as what happened last year, one one a person, there was a, a gentleman on a, uh, on a bicycle, unfortunately perished in a car accident. That stopped the whole entire traffic flow to go to Montauk for six to seven hours. That can happen easily again by a tree that might fall. There's another hazard of a fire that might happen. 1994 is not that far off in our distance right now. Okay, a lot of us have memories of those fires that are out there. Uh, a train spark could could uh, light fires. I believe that was maybe the late 80s on there from a bad break line. This can happen easily in the Napig area and we're extremely fearful. We've had conversations with the state right now about this, but what happens is that there the uh, it's not the elephant in the room, it's a little bit smaller than that. It's the bat in the room. It's the long ear bat that has become a hindrance to uh, taking, I would like to say, positive forward momentum actions to actually try to remove uh, some of these hazard trees because of the new designation of the long ear bat as uh, an endangered species by the feds. And that's key. It's a new designation. They just switched it from threatened to endangered uh, last year or the year before. Correct. And best practice managements uh, have are still ongoing. We, uh, we haven't learned enough from the feds to the to the DEC, now to the town, how to incorporate that in many actions, but specifically the action of removing hazard trees in that peak. positive if the bat's here yet is that right do we have we had any sightings of it or any naturalists who know for sure that we have the long-eared bat present i can't answer that specifically and positively but we do know that the area whole area of east hampton has been designated as potential habitat the word potential uh which means you have to have, have to anticipate that the long-eared bat is within our borders and then two or any area uh, but I have personally never seen yeah, it. I mean, if it's endangered, there is really not very many of them. Uh -uh. Right. Correct. 
Right. And it is really, I just want to like say anecdotally, I'm a, you know, almost lifelong resident of East Hampton town. And my family actually goes to the beach every weekend on the peak state beach. And so that the access point is off the highway. And I mean, the difference between two years ago and now, I mean, it's shocking. You mean even that that road that you drive, the sand road? That yeah, you the access road that you take to get onto the beach um, off Montauk Highway. I mean, it was a wooded path of pitch pines and, you know, opening out into really one of the most, I think, beautiful parts of East Hampton as you're driving onto that beach. I mean, it's just, it's protected and it's gorgeous and it's natural. And now, I mean, it really was, it was the end of last summer where it was really it felt almost overnight where it was like, oh my God, everything is dead. And then, you know, the start of this summer, we went down and it was like, no, now actually everything is dead. And it's even on the other side of the highway and, you know, driving on week after week, like, I feel like I probably email Mike every Sunday night, like, so what's up with the trees, man? Because this feels dangerous. And like, I'm just waiting for someone to throw a lit cigarette out of a car window or a spark to come up from the LIRR and we could have a situation on our hands. So if I can just add into that one second, George, you're, you're exactly correct. Uh, in 2021, we started noticing this. And I believe Mike and I discussed, and I brought this up to a CAC that we're starting to see a festation in this area. And individuals might not know when a tree discolors or when the needles start to bristle brown and the colorations that go. And I tried to get the information out there to some of the Montauk residents that this can forever change the napping stretch in, in, a, in a route that you drive daily. My 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 family drives it daily. So yes, there is a personal personal. You know, yeah, cer certainly by next year, yeah. it's not going to be a tree lined road. Anymore. No. Now, and let, let's go back a couple of things into history, if you don't mind, just quickly on there. The pitch pines are one of the things that protected East Hampton and South Hampton as colonialists, colonialists from armies of the Dutch that were in New Amsterdam at that time. They couldn't get mechanically get through the pitch pine. So they have protected us in the past. Unfortunately, right now, they might be to a point where they might endanger us now. Napeague is Algonquin for land overwashed by the sea. Right now, we're getting Napeague overwashed by dead uh, uh, dead trees and beetles, and it, and it is it is a fear factor that is actually increased anxiety uh, uh, from East Hampton and Montauk and Napeague's residents on a weekly basis. Actually, that's actually an interesting point when you just like mentioned the definition of Napeague. Like, I wonder. So, like, let's fast forward several years from now, and the Napeague stretch is now just basically like a path of sand to Montauk like I wonder what that means in terms of erosion and you know how much those trees are like kind of keeping the Napeague stretch the Napeague stretch when you've got heavy storms well th there's a there's a question in that it's a little bit like the ribbon of sand which is the Outer Banks yeah uh, that gets washed over all the time in many of those areas where there are old draft boat communities were removed by the fed by the feds at that time I don't see that happening here uh Evolian processes of erosion, which is how wind blows, windblown erosion could happen even more so. But what I'm hoping is that there could be a cumulative action taken by by the the, the state, uh, the MTA, the town right now, in which actions could be taken that, it, that would help the area there. Uh, and that might be either by removing, first of all, the hazard trees, taking action where the seed bank might be able to grow back faster, okay? where we would have uh, pine cones grow up 
And in 20, 25 years, yeah, we might have a regenerated forest there, more resilient to southern pine beetles. We already see that in our back door, in our backyards in, in West Hampton. That's what I'm hoping we have here in 25 years. Uh, but what I don't want to see is for us to have someone get injured waiting for that to happen. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSacHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. David, can I ask, if it hadn't been for the habitat of being the long-eared bat, what would the recommended course of action be? Is it to let the trees lie? Is it to let the trees stand? Is it to remove the wood that's been cut down? I just wonder, because I think that that's always a big question, like up here on Swamp Road, because the trees were cut down and they were left there. And I think the question is, like, how does that help, you know? Um, so I don't know if, if you know those answers, but also just wondering, yeah, what the state might have done if it hadn't been for the long-eared bat. For my knowledge right now is that the best practice is to drop the trees, score the bark. That's where the southern pine beetle is, is uh, allow a freeze temperature over days to kill the beetle. Oh, I see. Last year, we didn't get we didn't get snow. Mm-mm. That's climate change right there. Yeah. And we didn't get that. We didn't get the. Yeah, we don't get freezes anymore. <laughs> we don't get freeze. Yeah. You know, so we didn't. So we didn't get that killing agent of those beetles. So the infestation got bigger. Do you know what it would take or how low the temperature would need to be for how long in order to beat back the pine beetle population? Uh, not by memory, but not by specific memory. But what I'm trying to re- trying to think of, it was about six days of about 10 to 15 degree weather, very low weather temperature on there. Uh, we could find more information about that, but we haven't gotten that and we haven't got that consistent consistently in years right now. So the spread's only added on. Um, Part about about it is is that there's that action too, but as the state looks at these this material or this wood, they they consider it quarantined, and that you're not supposed to remove it from the area. Mm-hmm. So you could drop it or you could chip it in place on there. But I know, as I read in uh, the article that uh, uh, that the reporter extraordinaire on this podcast wrote, that uh, Assemblyman Thiel, who's been a great help in trying to press these agencies all together is that they're looking at a potential uh, um, uh, regulated and controlled burn potentially is one option there, which other members of the community have also asked asked for then too. Uh, that would be one way in which you can decrease the fire load within what your manpower is and make sure that you potentially get that re, re, uh, a re of the seed bank to grow again. It's very common all everywhere else uh, has happened. And, and I believe it's happened, they used to do it on Long Island in the past also. Yeah, I remember prescribed burns not that long ago. I'm, I was surprised that that hasn't come up. The well, they, yeah, they do them. They do them in the pine burns every year, several several times a year. Um, 
they, they have a schedule of them that they do on a regular basis. And that's mostly burning off underbrush and, uh, and leaves and stuff like that, that can, that can feed little wildfires. Cause obviously those are live trees. We're talking about dead trees, which are really bad, but I would, I would assume you'd have to, you'd have to fell those dead trees before you would do that. Cause I don't think you could risk a prescribed controlled burn with standing dead trees that would that would be fraught with uh, the potential for it sneaking uh, getting away from itself i'm curious about the regeneration aspect because if the southern pine beetle is here and it's not going anywhere if the trees grow back from the seed bank aren't they just going to get reinfested again and then we're back to where we started that's a very good question so I've been thinking about this one also. A lot of times what actually happens is that southern pine beetles will move from trees to trees chasing pheromones. So they need a host host to actually feed or prey on. If all that prey and that host force, it's gone on there and it's going to take a decade to regenerate. There might not just be enough energy for them. Maybe they will move on. Maybe they will die off. I don't exactly know that, Brendan, but uh, that that is something that we would hope that we would get more insight from our DEC uh, departments of forestry to, to give us that information so we can make that decision on these next actions. My main thing right now is that we have hazard trees on the state right of way that are overtopping pedestrians, overtopping automobiles, bicyclists right now, and there are bats in the way from us. And I I'll say I'll say it honestly is that. My, my wife, my daughter drives that every day, that route every day back and forth. Hella high water, I'm gonna have a bat standing in the way from a falling tree on my, potentially on my family. Right, yeah, and that's what, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about the danger of a tree, a dead tree actually falling over just randomly basically onto, onto a road that people are biking on, driving down and parking to go to the beach. It, it's happened already. There's been trees falling, luckily just not in anyone. So there's been multiple call-outs by the state DOT for removal. And the state DOT has showed up, uh, but they were told to stand down because of the bat and and, and the needs for uh, a coordinated effort there. Hi, I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. You might recognize my voice because, frankly, it's everywhere. On the radio, television, podcasts, and at live events that we regularly hold. I wouldn't blame you for being a little sick of hearing my voice. But there's a reason for all that. In addition to keeping you informed by publishing the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, and the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27east.com, we have another goal. We believe local issues are so important that they deserve to be discussed and debated, and we want to lead those conversations in every Every place that we can. In fact, it's a key part of our mission. It makes this a better community. You can help us. For just $5 a month for both print and digital, you can stay informed as you join the discussion, and you get the satisfaction of knowing that you are supporting the press and the Express and 27 East and all that we do. Go to 27East.com backslash subscribe and talk to you again soon. So what is the path forward in terms of talking to, I guess, the federal government about what you guys do in the face of this potential, you know, public safety issue, also being aware of this endangered species that you're mandated to protect? 
Thank you. So uh, that's State Assemblyman Thiel has been very receptive to our our, our pleads for help. Uh, he has coordinated uh, conversations and meetings of uh, the highest levels of uh, the state DEC, uh, the MTA, uh, the state DOT, uh, state parks also, uh, and town of East Hampton with our highway department and others to make a coordinated effort to hear our concerns. They've heard them loud and clearly. They hear them weekly. Uh, and now the DEC has had meetings, so I've been told also, with the federal wild, uh, Fish and Wildlife to come up with an action plan for their removal. I'm still waiting to hear what that is, but I hope with the coordinated uh, discussions that we're having either through the media or through community members are constantly reaching out right now, that that is done without haste. Mm -hmm. So would, would anything also be done? Like I know around like along 114, there are a lot of dead trees. Is that area not as much of a concern or would the same plan, if there's one implemented for NAPIG, would the same plan be something that you might put into effect on 114 or up in Northwest? So not necessarily because 114's right away is not nearly as wide. Uh, some of those areas on 114 are private lands. The town has already taken down their, and felled their trees on the town lands, preserved lands. The state right away and the Montauk Highway is extremely wide. I don't have a exact number. Uh, what happens right now, there's a little difference in my mind to those two locations. And excuse me for, I know you live in that area. And I, I, there is one road in and out of Montauk. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's multiple roads in and out of Sag Harbor, multiple roads in and out of Ridge, New York, multiple roads in and out of Riverhead. But there's one road in and out of one of the largest hamlets in East Hampton that becomes to almost the population of a city center on Long Island during the summertime. Something happens there. You can have tens of not hundreds of thousands of people trapped in an area for a specific time frame unknown over a hazard tree that has become known. That to me has to take action on all levels of government. Well, and if a fire occurs, I mean, we talked about 1994 and what happened, you know, with the fires off Sunrise there. I mean, I feel like wasn't Sunrise closed for like a, it was like a week? Actually, I think it was 1995. Was it 1995? Yeah, I'm just okay. Yeah, you're right. It was, it was like 95 because I was in university and, and it skipped the highway. Yeah, too. exactly. And that, that also goes into the fire aspect. One of, the, one of the parts I know, talking with Chip Gorman also, we were fortunate to uh, have uh, members of the highest level town government, sorry, state government out in out, uh, in Montauk for the Lighthouse celebration uh, for the restoration, the revetment. And we had uh, uh, Parks Commissioner Eric Kulisad, uh He toured the area and also uh, DEC Commissioner uh, uh, Basil Sekulas, excuse me, if I, with the name, um, uh, out and they went through the area. So they they understood what our uh, uh, why we are deeming this a priority of need on there. Then too, that was just a fortunate happenstance also to have them in this area. So they I know are looking at updating their fire plans and uh, uh, of the area. A lot of times it's not also just if there will be a fire, but how do you react to it? Let's remember back to just last year of of a fire that was on that peak. I believe it was some of the county parkland at that time, and it was in a in like a bog area off of uh, Napeak Harbor Road. Uh, access to that area was extremely compromised because, you know, fire trails were not either maintained or not in place. And I remember, God bless his soul, since he's passed since then, Danny Shields with his bulldozer plowing a whole way in so firemen can get in there with brush trucks that were getting stuck 
or in not using just uh, quads with 30 gallon of water jugs to try to fight a fire that kept re reuniting. So there's gotta, there's gotta be management plans in place that we have to update, review, and that's also ongoing, I've been told from state parks. So do you think cutting and doing a prescribed burn might be the best option? Would that be if you had your druthers, um, the way to go? It's, a, it's my my hesitant my pause and my hesitancy is you said my my drug, um, I don't know. Yeah. I I only want to say you should have a prescribed burn if you can make sure that you communicate that to your fire departments and work within what their abilities are. Yeah. That's not my specialty. Mm -hmm. My my special right now right now is to continue pressing through my seat to get action taken care of as soon as possible right now, and I will learn from them and get educated from them, then I'll make my my decision from there. So um, I, I just, I want action to be taken care of yesterday. So it sounds like the, as far as the bat protection, from what I read in Mike's story, that the window for not doing anything is, is, is through November, like March through November. Does that mean you might be a little freer to solve some of these issues once we hit the month of November? Part about our uh, ongoing discussions that are supposed to be uh, DEC is to get a hazard waiver from them so that we can remove trees, mm -hmm. uh, remove hazard trees right now. Uh, that was the one that uh, the actions that they were looking into. And I look forward to getting some more updates from, from the state on that then too. So there might be actions you can take outside of that. Do you mm -hmm. survey the properties? I don't know. These are best practice techniques and management techniques that the town has to hear from uh, from the from the state. And we're, we're relying on them to get that to the town. Do the beetles jump species at all? Is it is it just the pitch pines that it, they seem to like, and are the other are the other trees at all in danger of being infested once they kind of eat up all the uh, pitch pines? White white pines are much more um, resistant to them. They they do infest white pines, but the white pines are just hardier and don't die with uh, quite the same pace. In fact. Um, the the town's uh, land management guys, the the Andes, as they're known, Andy Drake and Andy Gates, uh, who have sort of have sort of um, uh, shepherded this whole uh, pine beetle fight since 2017. Um, you know, they've recommended to homeowners who have had to cut down lots of trees that they that they reseed with white pines. Um, and, you know, to, to the extent that we have white pines um, in the wild, uh, native white pines here, you would expect that as these forests are felled, uh, you know, killed off, basically, that, um, uh, you know, a more resilient tree would, would start to propagate and you would see it sort of fill, uh, fill a niche or at least become more, more prevalent if it is indeed uh, more resistant to the pine beetles. And, you know, as David, uh, Brendan brought up and David was saying that, uh, you know, yes, pitch pines will will recede, but it's probably many years uh, before they are uh, big enough to be something that would be threatened by pine beetles or would be a good home to pine beetles. So it is possible that we could uh, that we could see them see them fade away just if all the forests are dead. To, to what Brendan was saying too is you also just might see a different forest come back. You'll see it northwest. Yeah. You're seeing many, much more oak up there, maple uh, come through because they're going to spread their leaves and with a new canopy and go, yay! Yeah, we got room. 
Neighbors are gone. I see sun. <laughs> I'm going to get bigger and stronger and larger. You know, that's the way that's the way nature works, right? It's... That's what it is. So you might see more white, you know, east red cedars. You might see more white pines. And that peak stretch is different. You get a lot of salt, got a lot of sand. Yeah. I'm not smart enough to know what will grow there, but we might we might see that. But in the areas where up in the northwest, that's that's exactly what you're seeing right now. Then too, uh, those areas of of it's almost like the gypsy moth of years ago. Oh yeah, when they, when they devastated the area 114, uh, all that light sooner or later is gonna you know it's gonna get covered up again with with a canopy of of leaves. I I would anticipate there. Yeah. And that peak, I don't know. I would like to see it exactly the way it was, but there's a lot in East Hampton. I would like to see the way it was when I grew up in it. By next summer, we're going to have the spotted lanternfly too. Oh, geez. So when the spotted lanternfly moves in, the, you know, those maples could be targeted too. I don't know that it's enough to quickly kill the maples, but it's just one invasive species after the next. You know, yeah. at, at least fortunately with the pine beetle, if we get that odd winter where suddenly it's as cold in the winter as it used to get in the 70s or the 80s, we might beat back that population and set it back 10 or 20 years with one really cold winter. But with some of these other invasive species, they got here uh, not because of climate change, but because of people transporting them unintentionally around the country and intercontinentally. So this is just going to be a nonstop thing going over the next 10, 20, 30 years. There's never going to be a time where we're not talking about a devastating invasive species because you could take care of one and then there's just another one that's going to pick up the slack to cause you aggravation. So there's going to be a lot of podcasts about this is what you're saying. I was going to say, on that cheery note. A lot of lantern flies next summer. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're running for re-election, Dave? <laughs> I actually am. You know, I I I, I feel that uh, uh, first thing I always say to myself is, "What do my kids need? Okay, what would they want from you know, from a legislator's office?" And then next thing I say, "Who else do I want doing this?" And I look at myself in the mirror and say, "Let's go do it, Dave." So that's it. So uh, I I I do have to run. So, but I, I first want to say thank you very much for all your reporting on this. Uh, I want to, again, I want to thank Assemblyman Field, the, the state DEC, all the uh, state parks, Tom Desk, all the agencies that are trying to work on this, that are working on this. I just want to make sure we do it faster on there because I know the hazards there. We all know it. I want to get to that solution sooner than later, whatever that solution is going to be on there. But the one way that uh, the public gets to know about this and understand what's happening and why it's happening is through the media. Uh, so thank you very much for having me on. I look forward maybe doing this one again with you in the future. And uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity that you always do. So stay tuned. I think there's going to be more to this story. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. 
Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.